Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome everyone to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. This week on the pod, the Ontario government unveils more details on two new highways it wants to build in the Northwest GTA. It's also pressing the pause button on the last few capacity limits that were set to be lifted for businesses. Blame rising COVID-19 rates. With a massive surgical backlog in hospitals all over Ontario, they're trying something different in Hamilton to get people care more quickly. And Premier Ford said it again this week. He thinks you should pay no taxes at all. None. Really? It's Tuesday, November 16th, 2021, so let's get to it. JMN, do you know the most controversial numbers in the province of Ontario these days? Do tell, Steve. Well, the numbers are 4, 1, and 3, as in Highway 413, as in the very controversial new highway the provincial government wants to build in the north of the Greater Toronto Area, it would run east-west across Peel and York regions. And here's how Premier Ford answered reporters' questions about why the government was recommitting to this project, despite the fact we have no idea how much it'll cost, and some local town councils oppose the 413's construction. No, the vast majority of the people in these regions, and they're sitting on the highway uh, for an additional hour, they want to get home a lot quicker. Unfortunately, people up in this area don't have the bicycles that people downtown have that they can hop on a bike and, and drive from point A to point B but a lot quicker. But the local councils, though, they, they know their people, don't they? Why would they, why would they oppose it if the people, the local councils up here... Again, you're, you're talking a very small percent, very small percentage. We live in a democracy. The majority of the people want this highway. We're building the highway. Okay, let's start by having you lay out who is on what side of this debate. Well, as you can guess, the government wants this highway. Uh, many labor groups uh, also support it because, of course, uh, civil construction employs a lot of uh, construction workers. Uh, a lot of drivers want it and, uh, you know, groups advocating for drivers. Uh, there is, however, lots of opposition, of course, uh, from all three of the opposition parties at Queen's Park, the New Democrats, the Liberals and the Greens, uh, but also, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of local opposition. Uh, Mississauga Mayor uh, Bonnie Crombie opposes it. Uh, Halton Hills Mayor Rick Bonnett. Uh, the uh, Brampton City Council uh, passed a motion opposing it and proposing uh, a totally different alternative. So, you know, uh, while the the government is uh, pushing very hard for this project, uh, it's fair to say that it is still, you know, very controversial, even in the parts of the province that would uh, at least uh, theoretically benefit most from it. And what does the government say is the promise of this new potential highway? The government says that it will save half an hour on commute times once the highway is complete, uh, which is, you know, given how long it takes to get large projects built uh, in Ontario, at least, uh, we're probably talking about a decade of construction. Uh, it's important to say that uh, there might be studies that justify that half-hour uh, time-saving claim, but we have not seen any made public by the government yet. Uh, the government also says that uh, you know, the GTA is one of the fastest growing regions uh, of the province. That is, of course, uh, correct. And uh, the government argues that uh, highways like this are necessary to deal with uh, the growth that is expected over the next 40 to 50 years. Okay, that's the plus side. What are the concerns of the opponents? Uh, 
broadly speaking, uh, environmental harms. Uh, you know, we're spending billions of dollars on something that uh, will not alleviate traffic congestion in the long term. It will, uh, its critics say, will simply cause more. Uh, you know, there's a very, very long history of transportation studies uh, that show uh, over, you know, really not a very long term at all, uh, expressways, uh, the, the primary effect of a new expressway somewhere uh, is to mostly just encourage more people to get in their cars and drive. So the congestion effects, if they exist at all, they are very short-lived. And very quickly, you find that uh, your, you know, shiny brand new six lanes of asphalt uh, are just as choked as the uh, old highway was. Uh, it's it's actually something that, you know, some economists have called the iron law of roadway congestion. <laughs> now, the province made an announcement about this last week. And in case you weren't sure, John Michael, about how much they are, in fact, backing this, They hauled out a slew of cabinet ministers and backbench MPPs, presumably to show how much support the government has in its endeavor. And, um, well, why don't we just hear from the premier himself as to who was invited to come and who showed up to this thing? We're joined by members of our team, Minister Mulroney, Bethamfalvy, Jones, Tobolo, Tangri, Rashid, and, and Gill, as well as MPP Sandu, Anon, Kusandova, Sabawe, and Cazetto. How about that? Seven cabinet ministers, seven cabinet ministers, five MPPs. There's an expression in politics, you know, when cabinet ministers or MPPs get invited to attend these things and stand behind the premier, they ask, do I have a speaking role at this thing or am I just meet in the room? That's the expression, meet in the room. And this was one of those events where a lot of politicians were hauled out and they drove enormous distances to go up north of Toronto just to be meet in the room. Except it wasn't a room, if I remember correctly. It was no, just it was a field outdoors. with You're a backhoe right. in the <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but they weren't, of course, the only ones. Uh, Joe Mancinelli from Leona, one of the, the major construction unions in Ontario, uh, was also there. Uh, you know, no no real mystery why he would be there supporting this project. There's like a decade's worth of jobs for his members. Uh, but of course, for everybody who was invited, uh, there were plenty of people who were not invited. Uh, people like GASP, grandmothers acting to save the planet, uh, other groups that are opposed to, the, uh, to this, like uh, environmental defense uh, and, and other environmental groups, not on the guest list. Surprise, surprise. What do we know <laughs> about how much this thing will actually cost if they ever do build it? Not much. Um, critics have suggested it could cost as much as $10 billion. That's a, a dollar figure that you will see, for example, uh, Stephen Del Duca, Mike Schreiner, and Andrew Horvath uh, using in their criticisms of the project. Uh, the Residential and Civil Construction Alliance of Ontario put out a report last week uh, estimating it would cost substantially less, uh, between 35 and $4.4 billion. Uh, but that estimate doesn't include the cost of the actual land the road would sit on. Uh, so even that, I think, you know, there's definitely a, a Uh, some wiggle room in that estimate. Let's do some comparisons here with the last 400 series major highway that got built in the province of Ontario, and that's going back a few decades already, Uh, and that's the 407. The 407, of course, runs east-west across a broad swath north of the greater Toronto area, sort of mirrors the old Highway 7, and it does go north of Whitby and Oshawa. And on that note, there have been some experts who have been suggesting that there are ways to make better use of the 407 rather than building an entire new highway. You know, a lot of time on the 407, you can drive that thing. And because it's a toll highway, you got to pay to use it. It's often, you know, freewheeling. There's very little congestion on it much of the day. So is there an opportunity there in your view? Uh, Just on the point about uh, how... uh 
uh, free-flowing the 407 can be. I mean, not too long ago, a plane literally landed on the 407, <laughs> uh, a feat that I would <laughs> not advise right. trying on the 401 uh, during rush hour. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is a really interesting question. And I am, honestly, I'm not sure there's a clear-cut answer. Uh, I think that the 407 is, is a problem regionally in the GTA because you have this single, really told freeway uh, in the GTA that is um, really buried in the middle of a highway network that is otherwise not told. Um, so the, the whole network doesn't move as effectively as it would if it were all free or all told. Um, that's obviously a much bigger discussion to have, but it's also really not clear what to do with the 407 in the here and now. Uh, you know, Some advocates have suggested that one measure might be to subsidize tolls for freight trucks to get off of the 401. Uh, you know, trucks are obviously big and they you know, stop and start very slowly. And so they, they have a, a disproportionate impact on uh, road congestion. Um, that might be one way to, to make the 401 move a bit faster. Uh, but there there's always history in this province. And there's some history on this one, too. Uh, in 2003, the McGuinty government was elected uh, in part with a promise to lower 407 tolls. Uh, and they tried and they got taken to court and the, the government kind of got laughed out of court. Uh, the, the lease that lets the 407 Corporation set these tolls is pretty ironclad, uh, which is part of why it's so frustrating for drivers, I suppose. Um, in theory, I mean, it's a, a highway in Ontario. In theory, the province could try and buy it back, uh, but that would almost certainly end up costing tens of billions of dollars at this point is, is you know, the, the guess at what it would cost to pay the market price for the, to, for, to buy back the 407. So, you know, by that standard, um, building the 413 would be relatively less expensive. Well, let's get back to the 413 then. Is this in fact a done deal? Well, you know, for the government, of course, uh, you know, the premier does consider it a, a done deal. You know, it's in the budget, or rather, I should say, the fall economic statement. It's a, it's a commitment that they are taking to voters. But of course, you know, it is going to take a while to do. And they haven't even really, um, you know, put more than a symbolic shovel in the ground. Uh, those backhoes that were in the backdrop uh, at last week's photo ops. Um, there is still environmental assessment and all sorts of paperwork to, to get done before they can actually start uh, building it. So certainly, uh, this will still be a live issue in next year's election. Um, it, it, it's entirely plausible that if, uh, you know, Stephen Del Duca or Andrew Horvath uh, wins the next election, uh, they would cancel the highway. So, you know, not not a done deal in that sense. And to keep repeating myself, of course, there's history on that, too. Uh, uh, our favorite premier at TVO, Bill Davis, uh, he <laughs> pulled the plug on the Spadina Expressway 50 years ago, uh, even though it had already started construction. Uh, and it, of course, part of that uh, remnant uh, highway still exists today, though it never made its way all the way downtown, uh, as activists had feared it would. Well, that's an interesting analogy, because 50 years ago, Bill Davis became premier in March of 71. He canceled the Spadina Expressway that you just referenced in June of 71. And then he used the political momentum from that decision, in effect, showing he was not only a red Tory, but a green Tory as well big on public transit. Um, he used that to win a big majority government in October of 71. So it all took place over the course of just slightly over half a year. But today it's exactly backwards from those circumstances, right? 
It's yeah, it's it's almost exactly the opposite. You've got a conservative government, uh, still, I mean, you know, nominally the same party of Bill Davis, um, but it is instead pushing highway construction and uh, you know making this the 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 wedge issue. You know, daring his opponents to cancel these projects. Okay, let's turn to the pandemic now. On Monday, some of the last capacity limits for Ontario businesses were supposed to be lifted, but JMM, it did not happen. Tell us why, if you please. Uh, so the short version is that uh, COVID-19 cases have started climbing again in Ontario after uh, several weeks of falling numbers. Uh, the province's seven-day average number of daily new cases uh, had fallen to about 350 just before Halloween. Uh, now it is about 600. Uh, so a substantial increase, but from a province-wide lens, it's not really comparable to the kind of spikes we saw in the second or third waves. Uh, still, it is enough to give the government pause. So uh, the handful of capacity limits that were in place are going to stay in place for now. Uh, this does not affect a, a huge number of businesses. Um, and uh, I'm just going to say right out, not a slew of businesses I was uh, expecting to frequent anytime soon, but we're talking about uh, nightclubs, wedding receptions, strip clubs, and sex clubs. Uh, I have no weddings on my social calendar, nor uh, any of the other uh, businesses. <laughs> uh, they uh, obviously are going to keep having uh, capacity limits uh, in place. Uh, but the government isn't yet introducing any new capacity limits province-wide either. Well, there are parts of this province that are seeing some pretty serious outbreaks right now, right? Yes. And, um, you know, at the risk of sounding a bit too sort of detached from it all, um, it, it's kind of an interesting phase of the pandemic uh, because there's been a bit of a reversal of fortune. Uh, for the first, second, and third waves of COVID-19 in Ontario, uh, the GTA was really ground zero for the pandemic. Uh, Toronto and Peel region consistently had the most severe outbreaks uh, through all of the early waves. And right now, that's not really the case. Uh, two of the most severe outbreaks in Ontario at the moment are in uh, Sudbury and Algoma. And Algoma in particular had really not had a severe outbreak by provincial standards until now. What's their situation at the moment? Uh, there are more people sick from COVID-19 in Algoma today than they've had at any other point in the pandemic. Uh, Sudbury is almost beating its own third wave record, too. Uh, meanwhile, in terms of active COVID cases, uh, Toronto, Durham, York, Peel, Halton, and Hamilton are all in the bottom half of the province's uh, 34 public health regions. Uh, I should be clear that cases are still climbing in the GTA, uh, but we're not seeing them climb as quickly as we are seeing in the rest of the province on average, and they're certainly climbing a lot less quickly than those particularly hard-hit areas uh, like uh, Sudbury, Algoma, and uh, also places like Haldeman, Norfolk, and uh, the south southwest. So the fact that the greater Toronto area, with, with frankly nearly half the province's population, is doing reasonably well at the moment, uh, do we assume that that probably explains why the province isn't hurrying to impose any new province-wide public health measures? Yeah, at the moment, they are letting the local medical officers of health call the shots in, in their local areas. Uh, so in the case of Sudbury, uh, the local MOH there has reimposed some capacity limits on uh, bars, restaurants, uh, sporting venues there, that kind of thing. I guess this is understandable, because if we talk lockdown politics here for a second, can you imagine any government beginning to reopen society and then a few months before an election having to shut things down again? I mean, even if it were required... You can imagine how irritating the electorate would feel reacting to that, yes? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the voters, I think, can intellectually understand that 
the pandemic is not like entirely in any government's control, uh, but that would not stop them from either you know being angry with the government or blaming them uh, if another lockdown were necessary. And obviously, uh, if you are the government, you just want to avoid that at all costs right now. Okay, let's talk healthcare more broadly. The Financial Accountability Office of Ontario reported several months ago that because of the need to treat so many patients for COVID-19, there were literally hundreds of thousands of diagnostic tests and surgical procedures that had to be postponed. And the backlog is so big right now, it could cost more than a billion dollars to clear it. Now, the province has allocated a few hundred million to that task, but that is unlikely to clear the backlog anytime soon. Anyway, Hamilton Health Sciences which is the organization that runs a few of the hospitals in Hamilton, has come up with what it thinks is a clever new idea to help tackle that backlog. What's the story there? This is a really interesting case of, uh, you know, innovation in the pandemic. Uh, Rather than having your sort of traditionally fully trained unionized nurses uh, in every operating room, they are going to allow what they're calling surgical assistance in there instead. Uh, A bit of context here, of course, uh, nursing recruitment is always difficult and has become much more difficult during the pandemic thanks to COVID. Uh, Some nurses are being let go uh, or suspended because they won't get vaccinated, though that's a relatively small fraction. Uh, But there was already just a a really terrible shortage of personnel in Ontario's hospitals uh, to begin with. So these surgical assistants are going to be students who will pass a 15-week course at Mohawk College uh, and then are going to be sent straight to work. It's kind of like boot camp in wartime. Um, Obviously, there's a balancing act here. Uh, These new assistants are not going to be as well-trained as fully-fledged nurses. Uh, They are, however, going to be there. (laughs) They are going to be bodies in the room, Uh, meat in the room, to reuse our phrase from earlier. (laughs) Um, And sometimes that's what you need. Uh, And the theory here, at least for uh, Hamilton Health Sciences, is that something is better than nothing. That's the healthcare angle. There's also good old-fashioned union politics at play here. There's always a struggle between union and management as to staffing, and clearly the union would be concerned if good-paying union jobs were suddenly replaced in a significant way by lesser-paying, less-experienced employees who may or may not be unionized, right? Yeah, and you you can uh, understand uh, that this is a really difficult problem for hospital administrators uh, to get through because we have these uh, enormous backlogs that have been caused uh, by the pandemic and they're struggling to figure out the, the way out of here. How do we clear these backlogs, get these people this necessary medical care? Um, and, you know, we can all remember uh, many months ago, Health Minister Christine Elliott had to confess that there were uh, people in Ontario who were dying prematurely uh, because they were unable to get the surgeries uh, they needed uh, or would have gotten uh, if COVID had not shut down the hospitals. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough issue. And I think you can be sympathetic to both sides, but this is what is happening in Hamilton. Let's just do a follow-up on this issue. Apparently, it's not such a slam dunk convincing all long-term care workers to get vaccinated as the province has demanded. I think something like 98% of long-term care workers have been vaccinated once and 95% twice. But the last few percentage have been stubbornly holding out, and so the provincial government is having to compromise here. That's right. The original plan here was to be fully vaccinated by right about now, uh, or you're fired. Uh, now the deadline is being extended slightly. Uh, the government is saying this is in part because of the, the dose interval between the first and second shots, but they're saying that uh, in effect, uh, 
people in long-term care are going to have until December 13th uh, to present the evidence of their second shot. Um, you know, <laughs> it, there's, there's, you know, details that you could talk about, you know, uh, whether the government is doing the right thing here or not. Uh, but I, I think the reality is that they just couldn't stomach the thought of firing uh, potentially hundreds of long-term care workers, uh, given the labor shortages the long-term care system is already facing. One last item for everybody's amusement here. Ever wonder how often politicians say what they really think and how often they just parrot words written for them by somebody else? Well, we got a perfect example of the latter the other day when two conservative MPPs were asked about whether there would be tolls on the new 413 highway. Whitby MPP Lauren Coe was asked about it. And JMM, what did Lauren Coe respond? <laughs> he said, and I quote, since day one, our government has made affordability a priority for the people of Ontario. We are constantly reviewing opportunities to lower the cost of living for hardworking families, and that includes the many costly policies enacted by the Del Duca Wynn Liberals. Aha. Okay. Very interesting response. And then Transportation Minister Caroline Mulroney was asked the exact same question. And can you tell us, what did she say about all this? Uh, she said... Since day one, our government has made affordability a priority for the people of Ontario. We are constantly reviewing opportunities to lower the cost of living for hardworking families, and that includes the many costly policies enacted by the Del Duca Wynn Liberals. Wow, will you look at that? Now, that is just an incredible coincidence. They both said exactly the same thing word for word. Imagine that. How interesting that they both independently gave the exact same answer, JMM. What are the odds, you think, on that happening? I mean, it is the season of miracles, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and we just saw our very own miracle. No, we did not. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, that is one of the reasons why people tune politicians out, because that's just, that's just ridiculous what we just saw. Anyway, there you go. I'll get off my high horse now. <laughs> we always conclude this podcast with our favorite quotes of the week, and we'll have that immediately after we ask you to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We love your feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. You can also shoot us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. Here now, my quote of the week, and let's go back to York Region, north of Toronto, where Premier Ford and seven cabinet ministers and five Tory MPPs met last week to confirm the government would move ahead with Highway 413. Now, the Premier got a question from CTV's Colin DeMello about when he, the Premier, intended to fulfill his promise to lower the provincial portion of the gas tax. Here's their exchange. Folks, I've said it over and over again. You can spend money a lot wiser than the municipal, provincial, and federal governments. And, you know, that's why I'm asking again, the federal government, put the 10 cents, match us. We'll match you dollar for dollar. If you want to do more, we'll match you. Because it's all about uh, taking care of the people, putting money back in their pocket. And the worst place you could ever give money to is the government. So you're, you're eliminating all taxes? I'm just... You know something, Colin, if I could do it, believe me, I would. Premier Ford using another opportunity to burnish his credentials as a guy who hates taxes, even though those taxes pay for about $190 billion worth of services that I suspect most Ontarians actually use and like. You know, little things like hospitals, roads, schools, colleges, universities, museums, art galleries, the justice system, go transit, cleaning up the environment, our provincial parks. Anyway, you get the idea. <laughs> Uh, my quote of the week comes from Stephen Del Duca on the news that Alberta has now signed a child care deal with the federal government, but Ontario still has not. And what that says about the Ford government's priorities. Look, I don't think Doug Ford believes that um, universal licensed affordable child care at $10, $10 a day. I don't think he thinks it's a priority. 
you've all witnessed firsthand for the last number of weeks. Doug Ford is obsessed with two things. Well, I'll say three things. He's obsessed with his own re-election chances, number one. Number two, he's obsessed with destroying the green belt and paving over farmland to build highways that don't make sense. And he's really, really focused on rewarding his friends who are already doing really well and don't need a premier to, to be there to back them up. The, the people who will do better because of those uh, those mirage highways that he's proposing to build. That is Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca speaking to reporters on Monday morning. And that's this week's edition of the On Poly podcast, produced by Katie O'Connor, edited by Matthew O'Mara, production support from Nikki Ashworth, Jonathan Hallowell, and Albert Wisco. JMM, as my dad likes to say, stay positive, test negative. Stay safe, Steve. <laughs>